Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and along with Bruce, we have written 35 cookbooks. It's hard to even believe, including A La Mode, a book in which every dessert is paired with an ice cream. you got to check this book out. I mean, it is gorgeous, and it is delicious, as well as the ultimate ice cream book, the book that started our career with almost 500000 thousand copies in print the ultimate ice cream book from 99 it's hard to believe that book is still around but it is and we are not talking Mm -hmm. one single word about ice Mm -hmm. cream in this show unless you like to put it on pasta Mm -hmm. because we are talking a lot about pasta bruce has got an interview with vicky benison of the extremely popular youtube channel pasta grannies we're going to talk about what's making us happy in food this week and give a one minute food cooking tips. So let's get started. Mark and I have become obsessed with these YouTube videos of American (laughs) women and their Italian husbands. And they do everything to goad them and post them. They're not not really, I mean, they are YouTube videos. They're mostly TikTok videos, but they they uh, take their Italian husbands to the Olive Garden and tell them that's good. And they like put ketchup on spaghetti and tell them they made ragu. They do. One of them washed his coffee pot with soap and he freaked over (laughs) at that. What do they call that thing that sits on the stove? The mocha. The mocha, right? She washed his mocha out with soap and he freaked out i mean um she brings him lunch at one point that 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 couple i love it that she brings him lunch he's working at his desk and he makes pasta she brings him pasta with tomato sauce and he gets so upset because there's no parmigiano reggiano on top of it well i like the one where she brings him Kraft macaroni and cheese (laughs) instead of major pasta that's even better (laughs) (laughs) yes and there's a lot of hand gestures in these videos a lot of italian hand gestures so we should talk about uh the what kind of pastas are really uh popular around the world the italian food is very popular around the world it's italian restaurants are at this point a global phenomenon and from south america to north america to europe to asia italian restaurants are extraordinarily popular we're going on a trip to scandinavia this fall and i just booked us a dinner reservation in an italian restaurant there you go in stockholm so there you go. They, they, it is extraordinarily world-class food at mm-hmm. this point, a world-beloved food. And the, according to the International Pasta Organization. Wait, the who? I don't the know. Who, the what? International Pasta what Organization. What apartment are they in? 3G. <laughs> Listen, having we, we've worked for the Watermelon Board. And if there's a board <laughs> for watermelons, then there can be an International Pasta Organization. Oh, God. They have we, a good website, actually. I've we, seen it. We tried desperately at one point to work for that peanut board, and we made the mistake of saying that peanut oil has a flavor and apparently that is not what the board believes and so we made a mistake and never worked for that board again anyway according to the international pasta organization the most popular pasta in the world is spaghetti and that's really shocking well i here's my take on it i think it's because of americans I think Americans skew it. We have 300 million of us, yeah. and we all eat spaghetti. How and, many are in I, Italy? Like I, 20 people. <laughs> and so, they, I mean... And the crowd scenes are done with mirrors. Yeah, so, so that we're going to skew it that way. But number two, I kind of buy it. Number two is penne. Yes. However, there's a controversy. There's a huge controversy. Um, we in the United States tend to eat penne liscia. What is that? Which mean? is smooth penne. And most Italians...
intensifying this an abomination. Why don't they like smooth penne? Because it doesn't hold the sauce. Penne, most Italians prefer a penne that is ridged, especially Calabrians and Sicilians. They eat the penne that has ridges on it to catch the sauce, and they find what we eat in the United States and call penne, penne, which is actually penne liche, smooth penne. They find that just absolutely ridiculous. Okay, now what's number three? Number three is fusilli. Now, those are little corkscrews, and here's the thing. I don't, nobody heard of fusilli until Seinfeld in the 90s when Kramer makes fusilli Jerry, a little statue of Jerry out of fusilli, and then George's father falls on it and has to see the proctologist. (laughs) That's what made fusilli famous. I think it is actually how United States citizens (laughs) found out about fusilli. And coming in last is Rigatoni, but we should talk before we talk about the pasta shapes. I should just say that the reason I'm so shocked about spaghetti being number one is because I actually don't like spaghetti very much. I mean, it's fine. It's fine to have spaghetti and meatballs, but I prefer wider, flatter noodles. I love mafaldina. I love fettuccine. I like wider, flatter noodles. Well, mafaldina, if you don't know, is sort of like a wide, flat fettuccine, but the edges are ruffled like mm-hmm. the edges of lasagna noodles. Mm-hmm. It really mm-hmm. holds sauce. To it. It's so good. And we used to go to this Italian restaurant on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. We did. And Pomodoro. And they made a homemade ragu with house-made mafaldina. We would go there once a week. And they would put what should be a family-sized bowl in front of each of us, and we would eat about seven pounds of muffledina with ragu. We did. We and l- then we'd go to the theater and, and fall, fall asleep, asleep or fart. Right. I mean, one or the other. Fall- Excellent. It's it's always difficult to pass gas in a Baroque concert. <laughs> Especially the, when you're on stage. The instruments are so quiet. So um, anyway, uh, the, the point of this is I think that Pomodoro has been so- sold, and I don't think it's the same owners who used to own it, so I can't recommend it anymore. We haven't been in decades. But we should say that there are ways that you should use pasta. And generally, just think about it this way. And we don't have to be really obsessive about this. But just think that if a shape has a softer edge to it, it's probably better with a softer sauce. Like farfalle. Farfalle has got the butterfly pasta with the soft edges. You want that with just a very light sauce, like olive oil and some blanched veggies. And this is what kills me. We talk about saucing a pasta. In Italian, it's the condimente that they put on it. Well, the condiment. So oh, the they condiment. refer as to what goes on the Ooh, pasta is the condimento. Can I put mayonnaise on my pasta? Well, then? if you're making pasta salad. Or you could be like my grandma Rose, who used to put cream cheese and ketchup on oh. my spaghetti oh. and call it creamy tomato sauce. That's, oh, that is disgusting. What did I know? Now, I was five. Wait, I okay, it. I got to get the picture here. So what would she do with the cream cheese? Would you, how should, would she prepare said cream well, cheese? Well, she called it luxion and cream cheese. Okay, great. So, good for her. So she took so, the noodles and boiled them and then put them hot in a bowl and oh. cut up the cream cheese on it and stirred it till it melted and oh. then squeeze out ketchup oh. onto it. Oh. Stir it up until it was a cream sauce. Mm. And mm. serve it to me. Mm. <laughs> Disgusting. Um, <laughs> chew your pasta shapes and uh, shapes with more heft to them, like that ridged penne or bucatini, which is a hollow tubular pasta. Those are better with heavier sauces. So just think about it. The thicker, heavier the pasta, in general, the heavier the condimente, the sauce that goes on it. And a ribbed pasta, yeah. like rigatoni or the ridged penne, 
goes great with a fresh tomato sauce or something that's runny so that whether it's heavy or light, if it's runny, then the ridges will hold on to it. Okay, there's a few myths before we end up on pasta here that a couple that we want to debunk. And one is that pasta is from China. And actually, I can talk about this because I did some research on this for a book that we wrote. Um, Marco Polo made his famous journey and supposedly, you know, he brought a pasta back from from um, China to Italy. That is not true because 100 years before Marco Polo made his journey, in the will of a Genoese merchant, he leaves to his son several large earthen jars of, yes, pasta. And that's a hundred years before Polo went. So the whole idea that Polo bought, brought pasta back from China is false. I blame it all on Gary Cooper. Because <laughs> I Gary blame a lot Co- of things on Gary well, Cooper. Gary Cooper starred in that movie, The Adventures of Marco Polo. And because of that movie, people think he brought spaghetti back from China, but that didn't happen. And did you know that the name Gary, like nobody even named anyone. It wasn't a human name before. It was a human name, (laughs) but Gary Cooper, Gary was basically a non-statistical name. Gary Cooper caused a huge spike in babies named Gary from the 30s through the early 60s. It's because his stage name comes from Gary, Indiana. And now in the 2020s, in the late 20s, 10s, 20s. That's science fiction. Oh, it is. <laughs> there's almost no babies named Gary anymore. Do you know that there was one baby named Gary in all of the UK at, in 2020, and there were only like 70 in the United there's States. There's a there's a movie in this. The, there's a great the name sci-fi Gary movie. is dying out again. It's very funny. It bumped with the uh, with the actor Gary Cook. Cooper, who, of course, took his stage name from Gary, Indiana. Okay, what's the second big myth about pasta? Pasta makes you fat. Did it it's make Gary m- Cooper fat? No, it didn't. It's a myth. <laughs> Look, the truth is overeating pasta will make you fat, but overeating anything will make you fat. No, not true. Overeating ice cream never made anyone <laughs> fat, never, not once. I mean, a healthy serving of pasta for one adult is about one half to two thirds of a cup of cooked pasta. See, and see, you don't get fat from ice cream because a healthy serving of ice cream is one carton per adult. So <laughs> you don't get as fat. Come on. I mean, Olive Garden all you can eat trough, you know, is about four or five <laughs> times more pasta than okay. an Italian I have will to eat tell when a story. they sit down to pasta. I have to tell a story. We we when we first, when I first started writing for Weight Watchers, this is gonna be a very counterintuitive story. We were first writing for Weight Watchers, and I have to tell you that we were writing for Weight Watchers online back in the day when the online site was considered like this poor, ugly stepchild. stepchild. No one wanted to work for them. (laughs) The Cinderella. The poor, ugly stepchild. And of course, the print magazine was all the glitz. Well, you know, you can imagine that things have changed dramatically in the last 20 years. But anyway, we were writing for the website. We were thrilled to be writing for WeightWatchers.com. They existed in an open floor of a Manhattan building with like two desks and cords hanging from the ceilings because no one even knew what a dot-com was. So we were writing for them. And one of our first assignments was to review the pasta choices at Olive Garden. And so even though we were writing for Weight Watchers, we went to an Olive Garden and we literally ordered every pasta on the menu. The, the waiter, <laughs> she looked at us like, what the hell? And we were like, no, just bring them all. Bring us everything. Bring every pasta that's <laughs> 
Because we had to taste them so we could talk about, well, which ones are worth it, which aren't. and That's right. The whole article was which were worth the points back when they did points, points yeah. right? And it was which pasta at Olive Garden is worth the points. And it was so funny because we ended up at – I think she moved us to a larger table. <laughs> there was no room. And well, so, we were at a table for two and we ordered the 12 pastas. Right. So. And so we got moved to this big round table and all these pastas came out at us. And suddenly we were overwhelmed. I can tell you we did not just eat one half to two thirds of a cup of cooked pasta. No, unfortunately not. We should also say right before we leave our pasta subject here that uh, we actually, Bruce and I are eating more and more gluten-free pasta and it doesn't have anything to do with gluten intolerances. It actually doesn't have anything to do with dietary reasons. It's because I have developed a giant love for yellow lentil pasta. It is my favorite of the gluten-free pastas. Yes, I like rice noodles and Asian rice noodles are delicious and they're gluten-free. Yeah, of course. But um, pasta that mimics good Italian pasta is either made from lentils, yellow or red, or chickpeas. And we love them all. The yellow lentil has a great tooth to it. The chickpea pasta probably comes the closest to wheat pasta, but it can be too soft and you can overcook it too much. The lentil pasta, though, is the opposite. The trick is boil, boil, boil. And I should say that the lentil pasta, you do have to boil it longer than you might think you have to. You have to keep testing it to see if it's right. And I should say that because it's made out of lentils, it does dry out and get hard the next day. It's not really good as leftovers. But I love yellow lentil pasta more than I could possibly say. So um, we are all into gluten-free. In fact, if you went into our pantry right now, you would find boxes of yellow lentil pasta. In all shapes and sizes, including a yellow lentil orzo. Oh, it's it's and I've just got this thing. It has this very sweet, creamy, earthy taste. It's a little bit more umami than your standard, even fancy Durham wheat Italian pasta. I like that because it's a little more savory. It's it's got it's my new thing. So what can I tell you? It's it has nothing to do with wanting to be gluten free. It has everything to do with just something that tastes really good. So that's all we can say about pasta. And before we get on to the next segment. Let's just say that you should please rate and review this podcast. Even if you just dropped a comment, nice podcast, that would be gorgeous. Thank you all for having do, uh, done that. I've seen people lately just doing that, saying super entertaining or fun in the Apple Analytics. Thank you very much for doing that. We so appreciate that. We are an unsponsored podcast doing it for the sheer love of doing it. And so any help that we can get really makes us happy. Okay, on to segment two. Our one-minute cooking tip, and it's about pasta. It's about cooking pasta. Of course. I'm going to yell at you now. Stop putting oil in the water that you boil oh pasta. And what are you doing that for? Oh, my gosh. They're doing that. Why well, do people do that? I grew up with my mother doing it, and her claim was that it keeps the pasta from sticking together. It doesn't? Um, no, it doesn't. And the problem also is that my mother was trying to make eight pounds of pasta in a one-quart saucepan. <laughs> so, yes, if you try to make eight pounds of pasta in a one-quart saucepan, indeed, it will stick together. There are two problems with adding oil to the water with pasta. Number one, when you drain it, you're going to have oil-covered pasta. Yes. And so sauce is not going to stick to it, and that's no, disgusting. It is. Number two, you are now pouring oil down your drain. Yes. Which so you shouldn't be doing either of those things. We live rurally, and we're on a septic system, so we're really conscious of those things. But it, it was an old myth. Listen, the trick to boiling pasta is use a much larger pot than you think you need. You pull out a soup pot. You put a lot of water in it. You bring it to a boil. That's how pasta doesn't stick is because there's enough water for it to swim around in. That's the only trick. 
Okay, up next, Bruce's interview with Vicki Benison, the host of the incredibly popular YouTube channel Pasta Grannies and the author of a new book coming out very quickly. Today I'm speaking with Vicki Benison, author of Pasta Grannies Comfort Cooking, a new book out this fall. Welcome, Vicki. Thank you very much for inviting me. So this is your second book in the Pasta Granny series. And for people not familiar, and I can't imagine there are many, Pasta Grannies are women in Italy who you film for your YouTube channel, which is sort of like a fabulous cross between a documentary and a cooking show. And it's just, you can't stop watching these women. Can you tell us a little bit about these women and how you came to sharing their stories and recipes? Yeah, so it's it's now been going for about seven years. And, and it's because um, my husband and I have a home in Italy and I was casting around doing a bit of research and noticed that it was only older women who were making pasta by hand on a regular basis. And, you, you know, I sort of thought, oh, well, someone should make a record of this. And, and that someone turned out to be me. Um, and initially, I thought it would be a question of writing about it. But pasta making is so physical and it's so rhythmic and so beautiful to watch that very soon, even a plain you know, camera wasn't good enough. It had to be video. And I think if you go back to the very beginning of, of the, the YouTube channel, you can see that I'm terrified. <laughs> you know, the, the camera doesn't move. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and so that's how it started, it was sort of rather slowly. And then you kind of get sucked into the YouTube algorithm and then you have to do it regularly. And then all of a sudden it's a full time job. And, and uh, now I have a, a granny finder, Olivia. Um, and two cameramen who, who we go off. How does Olivia find these grannies? A lot through word of mouth. And we always work through the families. Um, you know, we need, we need their consent before we speak to the grannies. Um, they, they, it's never in isolation. And so it, it can be a mixture of things. It can be through the mayor of, of a commune, a municipality, um, or an organizer of a food fair, something like that. Um, and they'll make recommendations. And, you know, of course, at every stage, um, grandmothers can say no, and they do up to about, you know, two minutes before starting rolling. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's, there's never any pressure. And we try and keep it like a conversation when we meet them. And, you know, we keep our cameras small and that kind of thing. So it's not an intimidating um, encounter with these strangers that have just invaded your home. Do they say no because they're afraid of the camera or they don't want to share their story? Or what, what, what do you think that's coming from? I think sometimes it's as simple as, oh, I've got terrible teeth. Um, I don't I don't want to embarrass myself. I think also it's it's I think it is slightly self-selecting in, in that some grumpy grannies say no to begin with. And, and the lovely, open hearted, generous grannies um, will say yes. So. That's why we have the most wonderful array of, of beautiful women <laughs> and men uh, in, who agree to be filmed. Well, when I've watched the films, everyone's always smiling. So you're doing something right on set. Um, you <laughs> keep them happy and they seem to be enjoying their time with you. I think they are. And, and we keep in touch um, with them and their families, you know, and and. Um, so it's actually what with finding new grannies and sort of talking to the old grannies, it's a full-time job for Livia. Yes, yeah, so it's very important that they do enjoy themselves. Otherwise, it, it just wouldn't work. So the way that works in terms of the technicality of filming is that we don't rehearse anything. We don't get them stressed and 
you know, and if and we kind of slip on a tiny little mic these days, we've just discovered that really improves sound. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so we do that, but it's it's like, you know, meeting family, meeting friends, that kind of thing. So it's sort of, we keep it chilled. And the grannies in the book are from all over Italy. Have you found any common themes that run through all their approaches to pasta and cooking in general? Yes, uh, very much so. I mean, of that generation of women, I mean, we're in a hurry. Whenever we hear about a 90 year old we think oh we've got to film her quickly and you know that generation that's lived through the war who can remember before the war you know that whole thing of frugality and that it was not a time of abundance um so everything um was precious really so there is no waste everything is reused or and and so you don't go to the supermarket and buy a huge trolley full of things you buy as you need for example and you cook from scratch and meat is a special treat and there are no prohibitions at the same time you know they eat everything so those, those are the common themes and I think what we sometimes forget is is that actually they will learn one maybe two types of pasta whereas we kind of think oh my gosh you know there's 300 women on the channel so many masters to learn, whereas actually they've just they've just mastered one or two. <laughs> so, so pick your pasta shape. <laughs> uh, at this point, do the grannies know each other? Have they met? Do they get along? Very few. We we quite often show videos to when we first meet grandmothers and sort of say, "This is what it'll look like," and there's either um, sort of a raised eyebrow. <laughs> And it's like, oh, I can certainly do better than her. Um, <laughs> or, oh, my word, you know, they'll. Uh, my, we had one, uh, Giuseppa, who saw um, a pasta shape she hadn't come across before, and it was down the road from her in, in Sardinia. And, and she said, let me try that. Um, so she she sort of got to work with her pasta just to see if she could sort of pick it up. So there's a, there's a range of reactions to that. But usually, because they're sort of from small communities and they don't really travel. Um, we were filming in Sardinia a couple of weeks ago and one, um, one of our lovely ladies, Ottavia, said, oh, I think, I think um, Jesus sent you because I've never been further than Nuoro, which is the local market town. Um, and you've come all this way from London <laughs> just to see me. And I'm going, oh, well, yeah, uh, it's, it's certainly a privilege to meet you. you know? <laughs> So looking at the videos and then in the book, the book is as beautiful as the videos, the photos of the grannies, the photos of them making pasta. I noticed something missing, though, in every shot, a pasta rolling machine. Everything is by hand. So since this is a cookbook, what advice can you offer a U.S. cook after years of watching these women roll out pasta by hand? If you're used to using a pasta machine, keep going with it. You know, I'm a pragmatist. You know, if you're too busy and you've got to reach for a pasta, you know, a packet of pasta, don't beat yourself up. You know, it's great that you can actually find the time to make the dressing and the condimento. So, so the advantage of a pasta machine is that you can get it much finer than maybe if you're just starting out. So it does take a little bit of practice. But if you if you enjoy process in cooking and if, if you can find the time, you know, an hour or so to to doing it, you'll be rewarded with a, a different dish altogether, I think. And, and maybe it'll take a couple of attempts to become even better, but it's worth doing. Can you talk about that difference of the, the final dish when a pasta is rolled by hand versus with a machine? Yeah. So so, for example, a lasagna um, and I'm talking about a northern lasagna, you know, it's with a bechamel a, a sauce and, and the meat ragu and, and that kind of thing. So that uses an egg pasta. Now, most of us 
have in the past, and myself included, used shop-bought pasta um, for that. And that gives a different mouthfeel to if you've actually used egg pasta, fresh egg pasta, which you can get very fine and you can make multiple layers, like seven layers of pasta. And it's all kind of the balance and the mouthfeel and everything like that is it's just a different beast altogether than the thing that that's made with because uh, dried pasta in particular it's it's made with durum wheat flour so there's a much sort of firmer texture and your lasagna sort of stands more proud if you like so that so those are the sort of subtle but if you know if you're putting food to the foreground when you're eating it rather than just shoveling it in because you're hungry those are the differences that you're going to notice i really appreciate that in the book despite you focusing on these beautiful women making this handmade pasta you do say it's okay to buy store-bought pasta you just Mm. even said that a few minutes ago Mm. but what should we look for when we're shopping for store-bought pasta to get us something that is a little more authentic so a friend of mine lorenzo settini from pasta mancini he says when you open a packet of pasta you should be able to smell the wheat I say that in the book, um, and that's true. Um, if 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 pasta, dry pasta has been dried slowly um, at low temperatures, you get a different product. They say that in, the, in a romantic kind of way, they say it's still living, which of course it isn't, but they kind of give that feeling of um, a, a quality product. And of course, with the price of wheat going through the roof, um, you know, not all of us can do that. So it's what you can afford, but it's really about looking for that those things saying you know extruded through bronze dyes though the bigger manufacturers can cheat a bit and kind of put layers on and and you know it all looks great but just look for smaller manufacturers who are and uh, you know who will be a little bit more expensive because they've spent more time over it you know the bigger manufacturers can sort of make pasta within a couple of hours whereas the smaller ones that are doing uh, you know these pasta mancini it'll take a couple of days to dry um, the pasta so that's that's the difference how do you deal with the grannies when shooting the logistics of this if they're making a pasta that needs to dry do you ever do anything ahead and swap or is this all real time with them <laughs> no we do we do ask them to uh, <laughs> otherwise it would be there I mean it'd be lovely to spend several days with them but um you know if, if it's a meat ragu that needs you know a whole day uh, simmering then we do ask them to have made some in advance so um yeah yeah <laughs> You have interviewed so many grannies. You've eaten your way through Italy. What's the most memorable dish that a granny has ever cooked for you? Uh, You know, that's like asking about my favorite child or something like that. I mean, so, you know, so it's like we've just been to Sardinia and we've filmed a 99-year-old partially sighted great-grandmother who could still remember how to make fregola, which is like couscous. And she was kind of chopping up her her vegetables so so it's like a sort of um couscous with uh, cooked vegetables so it's like a pottage the end result and it's absolutely heavenly because it's all done from scratch and and you sort of having cooked your vegetables you put your fregola into it and she had done this all while not only only really seeing the shadows (laughs) so it's like wow (laughs) that's all muscle memory um but she's produced this extraordinary meal um uh, so yes that was one that was just the most recent in terms of kind of restaurant quality totally amazing 
I think it has to be panzotti, and that that's served with a, a walnut pesto, and it's got garlic in it. And mm. and um, Henry Kesher had gone to the trouble of skinning the walnuts, and the panzotti are little ravioli, which are stuffed with um, forage greens called prebajun in, in I think I've pronounced it correctly um, in Liguria, and you kind of stew those, and then you stuff these little ravioli. And so it's this wonderful combination of flavors. And, and because she'd gone to all these sort of the trouble, all these, this tiny, tiny attention, you know, great detailed attention to her, her recipe. I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> it was just, wow. The photos in the new book gave me that reaction. Everything was wow. Right. Um, if you're not familiar with Vicki Benison's work, Pasta Grannies, you should be. Um, check out the YouTube channel and watch her interview these amazing women throughout Italy making pasta by hand. And her books, The Pasta Grannies and the new one, Pasta Grannies Comfort Food, coming out this fall. You can pre-order it now. Vicky, thank you for telling us about your process and for sharing these amazing women and dishes with us. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you. Okay, we're all going to want to check out that book, Pasta Granny's Comfort Cooking. It sounds as if this is the nonna of all nonna, the nonniest of all nonniest of things. The nonniest. <laughs> it sounds like the absolute sine qua non. Oh, ooh, I'm using Latin on a podcast. The sine qua non. <laughs> I'm sure most of those pasta grannies know what you're saying. Yeah, well, they probably all speak Latin. They're so old. So one of them is 99 or she's she's half blind. She doesn't know the mass except in Latin, (laughs) I'm sure. Okay. Our last segment, what's making us happy in food this week? I'll let you go first. What's making me happy in food this week is something that I have ordered. And I'm like excited about it, but I haven't tasted it yet. And it's the Sichuan Mala Hot Pot Potato Chips. <laughs> and the, the Lay's God. Potato Chips makes them, and, but they, they, they sell them in Thailand, and they have all sorts of okay, fabulous so flavors, like fried chicken flavor and roast pork flavor. But Mark found these online, and I, they're no, I want to tell, Hot Pot Potato Chips. I found it on a Twitter thread so on I the ordered. other night, and I, it was such a Twitter thread. I think it came out of a San Francisco Chronicle article, and they ranked all the chips, the flavored chips around the world that are like most worth it and least worth it. And let me tell you, there are a lot of of kinds of potato chips. There's a cumin lamb. Yeah, I ordered those chips. too. There's the salted egg one I didn't order. There, there's buttered scallop potato <laughs> chips. So there's sca- there's potato chips made in all different flavors around the world. And so what did you order? You ordered the hot I pot? I ordered the hot pot and the uh, cumin lamb. Oh my God. Well, okay, so uh, we'll let you know how that goes, and if we're still alive. <laughs> if this podcast is still up in a couple of weeks, you'll know that we're still working on it. What my What's making me happy in food this week is iced tea. We are actually recording this, and we both have a big glass of iced tea here, and it is the summer, and you'll notice that I have my PhD in English, so I do say iced tea, not ice tea. What has happened to the tea? It has been iced. But what did you eat after lunch today? Iced cream. You did not eat iced cream. You <laughs> ate ice cream. <laughs> 
And for breakfast, I had skimmed milk. So <laughs> go away from me. So anyway, um, I love iced tea, and it makes me very happy for my southern roots. And in New England, it's just not feasible to drink iced tea in uh, December and January and February. It's just too cold. But I we make are make a pitcher every morning. We are back in iced tea season, and it makes me very happy to have a big glass of iced tea here, mostly so I can chew the ice cubes. But that's another and story. And drive me crazy. In Entirely. In the meantime, this was our episode all about pasta. Um, we love pasta. Oh my God! Watch these, watch these YouTube videos of these American women and their Italian husbands. It's hysterical. Vicky Benison, thank you for talking to me about pasta grannies and your new book. It was so much fun to talk to you. We had our cooking tip. We told you what's making us happy in food this week. Tell us what's making you happy in food. Drop us a comment at our Facebook page, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Join in the conversation. I want to know what's making you happy. And come back for another episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark.